going on everybody you are listening to the latest episode of reasonably outrageous i am matt wyatt along with blake pace on nba draft night you are listening of course the next day but for us the draft is still ongoing we are coming at you though with the first 18 or so picks in the books and of course zion at number one but we'll get to that in a second blake how you doing man I'm good. Yeah, well, you had to mention Zion won, which means he didn't go three to the Knicks, so not as good as I could be doing, but it could be a lot worse. Uh, how about yourself? I know the Wizards, we already know who they've taken, but of course we can discuss that later on too if you'd like. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm good. I have uh, almost done with the work week. Obviously, only one more day, Friday, so then the weekend, going up to D.C., going to a Nats game with the Nats, oh, cool. are inching ever closer to 500. So we got a big go. series against the Braves. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. The Braves just demolished the Mets. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, how many, they're, uh, how they're many rolling. did they, And then the Mets fired their pitching coach. I saw after yep. that because I think it was a stretch of 62 runs over X amount of games. So just a terrible showing from their pitching rotation. And then they hired an 82-year-old uh, to take the Yeah, reins. I saw that. Uh, I Jeez. <laughs> he was, I, I he was know the name, teammates but. with Sandy Koufax. That's how go. old this man is. That's incredible. Well, he, he's seen the best. He's seen the best. Yeah, so, I mean, exactly. Can't argue with that. Um, right. But we'll get to baseball in a little bit. There's a big topic of news that broke today. Um, or I guess for all of you yesterday, but we'll get to that in a little bit. We got to talk about the draft, Blake. Um, and, and you know, just looking up and down. Uh, let's let's stick in the top ten here for now. Are there any big surprises to you, or was it pretty much a chalk draft? You know, of course the top three, and you know, as soon as that trade went through for the number four pick, um, you know, it came out that they were that the um, excuse me that the Hawks were leaning in that direction. You know, I. I'd say it's gone just about as well as or as, as uh, fluid as I could think. And, you know, it's funny. I was trying to pull up. I, I thought I had the updates right on me, but now my Wi-Fi is being slow. So I don't even have the exact top 10. But, of course, you know, one, <laughs> Zion, not surprised at all. Two, Ja. Three, RJ Barrett, of course. There were some late rumors that the Knicks were bringing in guys for some real late workouts um, with uh, with some other guards. But, you know, ended up taking... RJ Barrett pretty uh pretty easily um you know not really any any top surprises of course I just want to vent real quick about my least favorite thing with the NBA draft why are we still like letting or allowing players to put on hats of teams even though we know exactly where they're going like I understand that the Lakers still currently own the number four pick but to see him put on a Lakers hat knowing that he's not even going you know that DeAndre Hunter's not even going to New Orleans where the pick initially was but to uh, Atlanta after their trade recently. That's just, you know, I just, it's so weird to see because now his draft night's going to have all these pictures with hats from a team that he wasn't on. I don't like it, but you know, you take a look at the guys in the top 10, um, you know, just about everyone I think that we expected. I know the the Wizards might have maybe surprised a couple people at nine with Rui Hachimura. I hope I said that right. But you know, Cam Reddish, yeah, Cam Reddish going in the top 10, Kobe White going to the Bulls at seven. I really like that pick. It's cool to be, uh, get a, a new, young, exciting point guard in there with the Bulls. Um, you know, Darius Garland, uh, that's going to be an interesting situation in Cleveland because, I, you know, him and Colin Sexton aren't, like, the biggest guard combo, Not, I mean, lengthwise and stuff like that, and you're going to expect one of those two to slide over to the combo guard, at, at, you know, a, a shooting guard position. Um, you know, you wouldn't take those guys back-to-back years in those top, I guess, uh, seven or eight picks in back-to-back years. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how they run their, their guard combinations, but you know, not too many surprises I'd say. How about, how about you? What are you thinking? Yeah. I mean, honestly, the wizards pick was probably the most surprising and, um, you know, Hachimura 
probably not projected to go until the 12 to 15 picks. So the fact that he went in the top 10 was, was pretty surprising, but I mean, he's the, he's the first ever Japanese born player to be drafted uh, in the NBA draft. A pretty exciting moment for Japan. I mean, he's a celebrity over there. Yeah. Everybody here is talking about Zion. Nobody over there cares about Zion. It's all about Rui. Um, yeah. So, you know, he, with the kind of phenom he is, that's exciting. He's apparently a stand up guy. Um, you know, I, I, I couldn't believe the Wizards passed up on Cam Reddish, and my, my first instinct was to be mad. Um, but mm-hmm. then I remembered that Ernie Grunfeld isn't the Wizards GM anymore, um, mm-hmm. so there actually might be some rhyme and reason behind this pick. And, you know, scrolling through Twitter and, and reading some of the reports, seems like people are, you know, fairly happy with him. It seems like a safe pick for the Wizards, so uh, I can't really complain about that. But I, I agree with you. Kobe White uh, seems like a great fit in Chicago. Um, you know, there's just been desperate need of a point guard. So, uh, really like what he's going to be doing there. And, you know, honestly, I, I think, you know, I think the Pelicans win this draft solely because they have Zion, uh, and right. multiple picks, but, but at the same time, you know, if you, if you got to pick a number two, I think it's gotta be the Hawks. I mean, you know, the young core that mm. Atlanta is building right now, you know, you already have Trey Young in there. You bring in DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish. You know, you have guys like John Collins and Tarian Walter Prince, who, you know, all of them are 24 or younger, Kevin Herter. I mean, you know, that's a great core, and they're building a, a really solid foundation uh, to build around moving toward the future. And I think, right. you know, fans have got to be excited about what's coming in Atlanta. So uh, mm. I'd say, you know, outside of the Pelicans, the, the Hawks are winning this draft. And you could have argued yeah. that last year, too. Oh, yeah, of course. The way that they their draft fell out last year. I know, you know, we, we think about with the Hawks draft last year, and it's like, oh, well, they traded out of selecting Luka Doncic. That was such a no-brainer. But Trey Young had a had a really good rookie season. You know, of course, Luka, you know, seemed to have that upper edge in year one. He was also came in with a lot more, I guess, professional experience. But, yeah, I, I like the I, I like what they've done as well. It's, it's a very fast-paced team that they're running with. I mean, we talk about how the NBA is – you know, quickly picking up its pace and stuff like that. And, and man, you know, the speed uh, in that backcourt between, oh, excuse me, um, between, uh, wow, why am I slipping on names now? Cam, or, whoa, what am I saying? What am I trying to say here, Matt? I just lost everything on my computer. Um, <laughs> the Just this, the speed and tempo that they're going to be running, I just, it, it's, it's going to be pretty fun to watch in Atlanta. Um, but I do want to give one little small rant real quick on my Knicks because I am a little nervous and I think it's just because Knicks draft Twitter is just always so discouraging. But I'm a little worried about R.J. Barrett on the Knicks and that, you know, he was the guy that, you know, came out, I think in the beginning of the season was like, oh no, I want to play for the Knicks. And, you know, he ended up, uh, you know, getting into Madison Square Garden. Uh, you know, uh, we saw um, some glimpses of how excited he was to be there, an emotional speech with his dad after he was selected. Um, but, man, you know, I, I'm just worried about him transitioning and all the negativity that I've seen around him was specifically aimed towards his his perimeter shooting. Um, you know, he finishes uh, his college season shooting 30% from deep, which kind of just now has me worried about him not being really able to be a good wing at the pro level. But hopefully he can prove on that. Um, but, you know, that's just my – I'm a little worried if I'm, you know, a Knicks fan. But, you know, wait and see. Wait and see with them. I mean, looking at where they were in the draft, it was a no-brainer pick. So, you know, at least right. you can't blame the Knicks front office for, for making this decision. I mean, there were a lot of people worried that they weren't going to be picking him. I mean, what was this – you know, about bringing in Kobe White uh, yeah. for mm-hmm. for a workout. I mean, last minute, where where was that coming from? I don't know. Were the, were the Knicks really considering trading down? I think the fan base would have rioted uh, yeah. at this point. But, uh, you know, they, they made the right choice. I think, you know, whether or not Barrett pans out, that's not necessarily uh, what the front office is necessarily worrying about um, in terms of that. I mean, you know, obviously they want him to work out and they want, you know, for the team to move forward with a, a strong shooting guard. But, at the same time, you know, they're not going to get slammed right now. And, and with the way things have been going for the Knicks, that is definitely something they'd be worried about. So, uh, yeah. you know, maybe maybe 15 years ago, if this stuff wasn't uh, as blown up as much as it is now, they, they decide to, to go with a little bit more of a risky pick. But in the state of the franchise, with just how much disarray it's been in, uh, you know, it's it's no doubt in my mind that, you know, this is the right pick. Yeah, they couldn't afford it to screw it up, and you know we'll wait and see. Of course, with all of these guys, but it certainly seemed like ahead of everyone else selected, you know, fourth pick and below, that this was the right move to go. And one other thing that I wanted to talk because you were talking about 
Um, of course, the Pelicans and the Hawks are the two winners. I really like the fact, I know it might be a little bit of a reach, but I like the idea of the Pelicans going back out there with the eighth pick, which technically is owned by Atlanta right now, but it'll be New Orleans after, and getting a center. Uh, because, you know, we talked about their trade that they had on our last episode, and all day that they got, they, you know, have, um, you know, Lonzo Ball in there. They've got Brandon Ingram. Uh, Zion will, you know, probably slide in at the four. People have talked about maybe he'll play point center. I'm not sure about that. I mean, he definitely has the size capable of doing so. I mean, he's, I mean, the weight at least, you know, he's 285, but still, I wouldn't want my center to be six foot seven inches tall. And so you go get a guy um, that, you know, is, are, you know, undisputedly, I think that the best center in this draft, Jackson Hayes, maybe you could have gotten him a little later on. Maybe you could have gotten him, you know, if you were to trade back up into the, uh, you know, 11th or 12th area, but getting him is a, is a good way to just address your other position of need because there wasn't really any strong fit at center. I know they've got Jaleel Okafor, um, Julius Randle was playing power forward, and of course he, you know, opted out of his uh, player option to become an unrestricted free agent. So I think that the Pelicans did a really nice draw, job not only selecting Zion, probably the biggest no-brainer in, in the last 15 years, but going out with that second pick and addressing another position of need. Yeah, I mean, you know, this this team basically has a pretty solid lineup now with Lonzo mm. uh, and Brandon Ingram, you know, the, the two guys they bring in, you know, there's top two draft picks, uh, Drew Holiday is still in there. I mean, you know, that's that's a very solid starting five, you know, uh, it, depending on what we see out of the rookies coming into this year, that's that's a starting five that could make a playoff push uh, if, if things go right. And you get a guy like Jalil Okafor uh, on the bench. Uh, you know, he, he uh, I think he opted into his contract for next year or they picked up his player option or team option, something like that, uh, where he's now going to be in uniform with the Pelicans again next season. So that adds some depth uh, in that mm-hmm. front court. So, you know, this is, this is going to be a lot of fun to watch, man. I mean, the Pelicans are such an intriguing franchise right now, just in all of sports. I can't think of one. Uh, that really jumps out to me is just maybe the Browns. I think right now that the Pelicans and the Browns are the two most intriguing franchises uh, in sports, and it, it, just seeing you know what the, what kind of off off season they've already had. I mean, you know the off season's just begun. Uh, mm-hmm. You know they could still fill out with some good role players. They've got some cap room to make some moves. Uh, you know I'm interested to see what that front office does uh, after having such a you know great draft and great start to the off season. And you know I'm, I'm interested to see what trajectory this franchise is on. Yeah, it is going to be interesting, but, you know, the other, you know, the flip uh, side of the coin is that we were in this situation talking about this in, what, 2012, I believe, when the Pelicans selected Anthony Davis, who was probably the last, I guess, first overall pick that we'd say was transcendent, like a guy like Zion, uh, you know, a guy that was Mm -hmm. taking, I guess, two, like Kevin Durant and then LeBron James, and they ended up in this situation. So there's a lot of pressure on New Orleans because, you know, I think that the potential and the youth um, and, you know, up and rising players around Zion puts them in a better position than when they first started out with New Orleans. But if you come five, six years down the road and you haven't been able to build a, a consistent, you know, playoff, you know, team that's competing toward maybe a Western Conference Finals or Finals berth, you're in a real bad situation because you've you've missed out on what was, you know, one, the best big man in the league and then potentially Zion Williamson if he decided that he wanted to test out different waters because it wasn't working in New Orleans. There's a lot of pressure that comes along with this, especially it being kind of the second time around for them. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. All right, is there anything else you want to touch on on the draft uh, before we move on? Ooh, one one thing that I wanted to see because I just got a notification on my phone. Uh, Basley, I'm trying to look up his first name so I don't uh, just sound Marvin? stupid here. Yeah, no, uh, Darius Basley. Uh, was just oh, selected oh, oh, oh. with a 23rd pick. Yeah, no, 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 sorry. Darius Basley. Uh, he was just gotcha. selected number 23 uh, to Oklahoma City, and he was a guy that had committed to play at Syracuse, but then decided to decommit and play in the G League this year. And so now he lands with the 23rd pick. Uh, you know, that was kind of a big move is to see a guy who had committed to an ACC program a uh, highly touted recruit, and then him decide, oh, I'm just going to play in the G League and I'll get my start there and then, you know, jump up into the NBA. So pretty interesting. Uh, and he, you know, maybe didn't go as high as maybe he wanted. People said that he was going to be a fringe lottery pick. Uh, fell down to 23, but that's a pretty uh, interesting way to get into the uh, into the NBA. You're absolutely right, Nick. It reminds you of the Carter Stewart um, article, uh, 
situation we talked about uh, earlier on in the show. Uh, oh yeah, so it's maybe like a month ago with the him deciding to go to Japan uh, yeah. instead of going opting into the draft, uh, which is very interesting. Um, you know, route. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of young guys who are trying to get around the college game right now, and it's 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 interesting to see you know how that might affect the rules. I mean, you know, the NBA seems like it's trending toward uh, getting rid of the rule that forces players to have to have a year out of high school. Um, so you know, we might. Uh, I think there was a projected year, but I can't remember what it was where they're going to switch that rule and that draft is just going to be loaded because it's oh, going yeah. to have the guys who were one and dones, uh, you know, the last, the last of the crop there, plus all the kids coming out of high school and they're just going to be jumped into one. So um, whichever draft that is, uh, you know, I'm not sure if they know exactly what year that's going to be. Um, but that, that draft, you know, it's going to be important to have a top pick because uh, it's going to be loaded. Mm-hmm, for sure. So, news broke today. I mean, amid all of the NBA drama, uh, it seemed like we were getting uh, constant updates from Woj all day uh, and Shams over at The Athletic of different mm-hmm. trades coming in. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think we had a whole lot of trades during the draft. I mean, I don't think we had no. any, to be honest, but um, which was a little disappointing. But, you know, there was some action today, obviously, uh, with the Pelicans trade and with the Hawks and uh, Memphis's trade with the Thunder, all that kind of stuff. That was fun. Uh, but... More news broke uh, in baseball. Yeah. Jeff Passan over at ESPN uh, dropped the bomb of the Rays. Uh, not any kind of move that they're making, but an actual move that they're considering of the team. They're considering in the future splitting time in Montreal, uh, where the Expos used to play before they moved to D.C. and became the Nationals, and using that pay the, the money they would be saving um, to help fund two stadiums, um, and it's just a really bizarre plan uh, that I really don't think has any chance of coming through. Um, but Blake, what do you what do you think about this? Do you think the Rays could possibly have a two city fan base? Okay, so logistically, I don't think that this has any shot of working. But just out of just like the randomness and just how insane that would be. I want this to happen so badly just because I, this is just something in sports that like, I get that it probably wouldn't work and there'd be a lot of problems. You know, what happens if they make the playoffs and, and, you know, uh, you know, you listed, I saw a Twitter thread, I guess, or a tweet of yours that had a couple other problems in there, but that just, to me, it just sounds so fun. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just, it's just one of those things that I just feel like would be interesting and it's never, you know, really been, done before it's been attempted before but then I think I think it happened in the NBA with the Kings and then they ended up not even being in one of the in one of the cities that they tried they just ended up in Sacramento which wasn't even one of the two destinations they tried to split but you know I I don't think that this is possible to happen I like the idea of exploring it and just like the fan in me that doesn't really care too much about the Rays I know they have an interesting team a lot of players that I like uh, you know they're in a tough competitive division with the Yankees and Red Sox but it would just be fun to me. I don't know. Am I am I stupid for just thinking that I'd enjoy to watch a team play half its season in Tampa and then the other half in Montreal? See, I don't think you're stupid. I think that the only people who are going to find this fun are the people who aren't invested in the race in any way right. whatsoever. So, you know, the people like you who, who root for another team, uh, you know, this is it's just something interesting to see. And, you know, it would be it would be cool to see them try. Uh, this actually isn't the first time Jeff Passan notes in his article uh, that the Expos played 22 home games in Puerto Rico in 2003. Um, okay. And the Kings used to split home games um, between two places, uh, the Kansas City and Omaha. Um, so that was in the seventies. So that, that's in the, in the NBA. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't necessarily the first time this would happen, but uh, there, there are just several things here I want to lay out for you. First of right. all, let's, let's talk about the players. Okay. So if they play what the proposition is, you play the first half of the season in Tampa, it's going to rain less. Um, so that would be, you know, mean they don't need to get a retractable roof on their stadium and they could fund a cheaper stadium, help fund one, um, for the city that that city would help back. Uh, and then, they also have to get a new stadium in Montreal, um, where apparently they have lots of investors who are very eager uh, to jump in on this. Now, for the players, okay, you could line this up so that their kids are out of school when they're in Tampa and in school when they're in 
Montreal. That might work, but you know, think about having to get two houses, having to get two sets of doctors. Brad Ziegler, uh, a former reliever who was on the, the Diamondbacks and the Marlins, uh, he was noting on Twitter how hard this would be for a family uh, to have to adapt to. You know, kids won't have their friends. Uh, in, in one city or the other, you know, they're going to have to kind of adjust to two different things. Not, not, not mm. to even mention Montreal is in another country. So you're going to have to get all the passport stuff to go back and forth. Uh, you know, you get the visas, that kind of thing. I mean, that, that, that's a whole process that would take forever. And, you know, Montreal lost its baseball team because of a lack of fan interest. Now, there has been calls for teams to come back because they realize, you know, we we miss it. We want a team again. Um, and, and sure, there might be a, a part of the Montreal fan base that wanted that. But the Expos were routinely in the bottom of the league in um, fan attendance for years. I mean, that was a pretty common theme. And so I, I, I just don't know if I know if see if that working. I also see, you know, there being a bunch of travel where, you know, now MLB teams in the AL East, you know, you already have Toronto uh, in, in Canada. So that will make it actually easier for the Blue Jays. But, you know, look at uh, the, the Yankees and the, and the um, Red Sox and the Orioles, teams that are now going to have to go much farther uh, on these road games more times. They're going to have to go to Canada. I mean, they're going to have both Canadian teams in their division. You know that's all. You know what that's going to do is, is is force these three teams to have to go through all that extra travel hassle much more than any of the other teams in the league. You know, if I were a Yankees player or a Red Sox player or an Orioles player, I'd be pretty upset about that. Uh, you know, having to go through that every time. Uh, and, and and then you know, as far as as the season goes, uh, how are you going to break up playoff games? I mean, is is Montreal just going to get all the playoff games at that point? If, if that's the case then you're just going to lose a bunch of Tampa fans. Because if you can't go to playoff games, what is the point of being a fan of a team? And then you could say, okay, well, what if they split You know, every other home game? They'll go to one or the other. You know, that's that's just asking for a detached fan base, in my opinion. And yeah. uh, I just don't – I just think there are so many problems with this. And then plus, on top of that, um, the St. Petersburg mayor, uh, Kreisman, I think his name is. Um, I don't know exactly what his name is. But uh, he said today, after 12 years of indecision, including three years of exploring its options throughout the Tampa Bay region, like many in Tampa Bay, I am tired of the games that are being played related to getting a new stadium. The Rays cannot explore playing any Major League Baseball games in Montreal or anywhere else for that matter prior to 2028 without reaching a formal memorandum of understanding with the city of Petersburg. Ultimately, mm-hmm. such a decision is up to me, and I have no intention of bringing this latest idea to our city council to consider. In fact, I believe this is getting a bit silly. So hmm. clearly they don't have the backing of, of St. Petersburg, which uh, apparently the Rays are pretty tied into uh, where their stadium is. Now, th- there's this whole thing with their stadium, you know, a whole backstory of this on how they haven't been able to get funding. And it's one of the worst stadiums in the league. You know, the A's have had a similar situation over in Oakland, but now they're going to be getting a new stadium. And it's going to kind of leave Tropicana Field as this just ugly eyesore for the major leagues. Um, you know, it's so bad that the, the ceiling is white and, and ball, fly balls just get lost up there all the time. I mean, it's it's right. it's awful, you know, and, and we're in a multi-billion dollar industry we're talking about here where, you know, we can't get a new stadium, uh, you know. And then that's the other thing is the Rays fan base has also been declining in, in general anyway. I mean, it's just hard to get baseball fans in, in Florida. That's just something that's been a common trend. And honestly, I think in when we get to 2028, that's when the Rays are going to be moving. And I don't even know mm-hmm. if it's going to be Montreal. I mean, I saw some tweets today of, of people throwing out cities like Nashville, uh, where you're, oh, you're going to be living. Um, nice. I'm well, all about that. It, <laughs> it wouldn't be till 2028. So unless you're planning on staying there for the next Ooh. 10 years, uh, you might have to wait. But uh, Charlotte was also uh, tossed out there. Portland has been a team that's been discussed. Las Vegas, since you know, it's getting all these franchises. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of different options it could take, and I just don't think Montreal is at the top of that list. Now, they're also talking about expanding the league to 32 teams. In that case, I think Montreal would end up being a team, but especially if the Rays move, that's three new cities that would get, be getting baseball teams, which would be so exciting. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, that's the end of my rant, but I, I, at the end of the day, I just don't think this is something that's feasible, and it already appears to be getting shot down by the local government. Right, yeah, I mean, the the quick reaction was, what are they trying to do? And then it was, you know, negative, negative, negative. My one thing, and I did pull up a map of Canada to check this, Montreal is in fact much closer uh, to New York, Boston, and Baltimore than it would, uh, you know, to travel down to Tampa, 
Uh, so it, in terms of well, travel, I'm, I'm I get you have to go to talking more about customs. A, right, you know, Going right. through customs and the border stuff, that's, yeah. you know, it takes a whole extra process. Definitely. But, I mean, I, I like, Montreal is right on the tip of, of like, New York, Massachusetts area. So it's it's actually closer than, where is even Toronto? I can't find Toronto on my map right now. I've I've just got a big old map of Canada up in front of me, and I don't you even mean see Toronto. You don't Toronto know right. the geography of Canada? Dude. Oh, I I was gonna come at you with the point that I thought it was closer, and I was like, wait, I need to bring up a map just to make sure I'm not getting this wrong. <laughs> oh, okay, no. So Toronto is pretty close, but I'd say it's Montreal is even closer to Boston than it would be uh, to Toronto. So I think this wise, yeah, you got to go through customs and stuff, but you know, you don't have to travel to the wild state that is Florida if you're an ALS team. If if that move was to happen. Yeah, there's just so many complications that would go about that. Like you said, the, the biggest thing for me would be the families. And that in you know plays a huge role into free agency, being able to keep players. You know, if you're a, a, a guy that's drafted uh, by the the Rays and you work your way up through the farm system and then you make it to the pros and all of a sudden you're, you're, you have to readjust and your family and stuff like that, you know, when free agency comes about and it's my chance to leave, I would want to play somewhere where I can have one house, spend my entire season in that location and, you know, schooling, you know, like we said, like you, all the points that you were making about the family staying in one central location, not have to worry about friends and, and classes and doctors. It it is complicated. Um, yeah, I mean, it does seem, you know, like Tampa is probably on its way out of having a baseball team, like you said, and that that was kind of where it was going to be one of my questions, um, but you, you answered it for me, is that, you know, it kind of just seems like it's a declining fan base, um, despite them, you know, even having a, a pretty good season this year, and we've seen some growth in, in their team through the few years, despite them being, you know, one of the uh, lower paying teams in baseball, too, which is pretty fun to watch, um, but yeah, it, it's it's just, it's... It was crazy to hear. Of course, they got permission to explore the possibility, um, which, you know, is is not even in, you know, the realm of like, oh, they're going to do this. It's They're probably going to do as much research as we did in the few hours before doing the show and probably come to the realization that it just simply wouldn't work. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an interesting idea for sure and, and something at least worth exploring. But I don't I just I don't understand how the Rays let this go public. I mean, I, yeah. maybe just to throw it out so there and see journalists. what the reaction would be. Yeah, I know. Passing, dirty you know, digging in. Um, oh, also, yeah. by the way, I, I heard somebody say that uh, Passin is uh, baseball Woj earlier, and I just want to say that Ken Rosenthal was doing it before Woj. Um, so I oh, think yeah. Passin is just the ESPN Ken Rosenthal and not the baseball Woj, um, like which that. also Ken Rosenthal is is – the epitome of baseball journalism, uh, in my opinion, but you know, that's, that's just me anyway. Mm. Um, back to, you know, the Rays, they have terrible attendance. Their, their, their team is amazing. Uh, and it just doesn't make any sense as to how, you know, the Rays fan base hasn't been able to rally around them, but, um, you know, with the conditions of the ballpark and how little the much, how little they spend their opening day payroll, 65 million, which is the lowest in baseball. It's hard to get people excited, uh, prior to the season when you're spending that little money. Um, right. you know, we're talking about a penny pincher ownership group anyway. Um, so it, it's, I don't know. It's an interesting idea, but I just don't think it's feasible at all. Uh, and you really got, I think when all this stuff, it comes down to the players, you know, does it work for them? You know, this is a, a player's league. Uh, everything depends on them. And, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't see one, I, I could see a bunch of teams voting against it, um, for having to, oh, yeah, know, affecting their travel. Um, I could see a bunch of the players union getting up in arms about it. You know, how are you going to make this work? Um, so, you know, it would be a lot more than just trying to, to, you know, get the team ownership group, uh, all in favor of it. There's so many hurdles to jump over that, um, you know, it's just such a long shot. I don't see it happening. Right. And maybe, yeah, like you said, most likely it would have come to, I guess, 2028 or whenever they decide to do an expansion, that it would seem like Montreal would be probably the location after, like you said, there had been some buzz circulating about them wanting to get a MLB franchise in there again, a second team up in Canada. Um, but we do have to wait some time for that. But it certainly seems like, A, Tampa will be la- leaving for another city um, in, in the, uh, United States, or eventually they maybe just do their research and they realize, okay, there's a big enough market in Montreal for us to want to go back there. So we're going to ditch Tampa and, and leave them alone. 
I think Charlotte makes a lot of sense, man. I, you know, yeah. AL East, uh, that, that makes it a lot closer for the Orioles, um, who always seem to be just stuck in the middle of the entire right. uh, division, yeah. having to, to travel so much. You know, North Carolina is not too far from Maryland uh, in terms of a plane ride. So, you know, and it's all, also just, you know, cuts the, the plane ride in half for those New England teams. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think overall it's it's a great idea to move it to Charlotte, a, t- a, a city that – you know, has really rallied around the Panthers and the Hornets, a great sports city. Uh, I think, you know, North Carolina is, is still a good state for baseball, too. I mean, I have nothing to base that on other than, you know, I've seen them rally around those other teams before. And, uh, you know, a lot of baseball players do come out of North Carolina, you know, as amateurs. So, you know, I, I think it would be an exciting thing to watch. I'm really I really do want baseball to go to 32 teams. I would love to right. see, uh, mm-hmm. you know, them add a couple of cities. But, uh, according to Passon in this story, the league is not going to consider expansion until Oakland and Tampa Bay have new stadiums. So it oh, appears okay. that the Rays' future has to be decided because Oakland's already getting its new stadium, so that's set. But mm. uh, the Rays' future needs to be decided before we're going to see any expansion teams, uh, which I get. You know, you don't want to bring right. two new teams in the mix when you're still trying to figure out what the Rays are doing. But uh, you know, I, I think that's just where everything's headed. You know, it. Two more teams means a lot more money, um, and I want expanded playoffs too, um, which oh, yeah. would make the the league more competitive. I've I've heard some theories uh, over the past couple of days that I think are interesting. Interesting, um, but you know, you want to hear it? I mean, we got time. Yeah, yeah. Let's hear it. Let's hear your uh, playoffs. So, I, oh wait, wait. I really I like... want to cut you off. I'm sorry. I wanted to say one thing before you get to it because you were talking about Charlotte being a cool city. I just wanted to point out that I do think Nashville, just from being down there for you know a couple weekends here and there, um, pretty big baseball city too. It's got some interest. There's a minor league team that's there. Currently, of course, Vanderbilt is right uh, just outside of of, uh, of Nashville. We know how they've got a pretty um, pretty legit college program over the, the you know the last decade or so. So oh, I definitely yeah, think that definitely. that's a that's a viable option as well. But I just wanted to get that out so we didn't have to like backtrack all the way. So let's hear your playoff theory. No, I, I agree with you. Nashville will be fun too. Um, they've obviously got some a couple of big fan bases too in the the Titans and the Predators, so, you know, throw a third team in there, why not? All right, I think what baseball should do, you know, we talked before how they created this wild card game to try and get more teams to compete, but that second, that, that chance of just losing in one game made it so that you, you know, if you went all in, you could just lose in one game and it wouldn't be worth it, right? Mm-hmm, uh, so right. less teams are going for that wild card spot. What if you let four teams in each league get into the wild card pool and you had it like the regionals uh, are in the NCAA tournaments for softball and baseball where it's best of uh, or double elimination. Uh, You put two and two teams together. You can rank them, you know, one versus four, two versus three winners play each other, losers play each other. uh, And then you go until everybody, but but one team has lost twice. I think, you know, that gives, if you say, okay, you know, in a three-game series or a four-game series, however many games you're going to have to play, you know, I trust our team to get this done. That would put a lot more teams uh, are involved in the playoff hunt, but also give them enough incentive to go for it in that they don't think that they're just throwing all their chips in uh, on a random bet. What do you think? Right. No, I like that. And, you know, I this is I, not to say that I think it's too long in itself, but I think that would also maybe pave some way to maybe cut a couple games out of the regular season. Not to say, oh, yeah, that, definitely. you know, I mean, because then if you're, you know, you're playing that many extra games in the postseason, you can cut off the regular season early. Um, and of course, you know, we've talked about the baseball regular season. You know, I, I'm, I love watching baseball all throughout, you know, from from April to, to September and into the playoffs. But, um, you know, I, I know such a long season and, you know, we've seen it in other sports where, you know, um, the NFL is talking about cutting preseason games. The NBA is talking about cutting its regular season. Uh, I think a, a more competitive playoff system like that with kind of like that regional feel would pave way to cut a few games out of the regular season. If we were to do that right now um, and say the, the, the season ended today, the Rays would play the Indians and the Red Sox would play the Rangers uh, to start the American League pool. And then in the mm-hmm. National League, it would be Brewers versus Cardinals and Rockies versus Phillies. I mean, and, and we're talking about right now, the Indians are a game back of the second wild card spot. 
and the Cardinals are a game and a half back. So that's how tight things are right now. Uh, and, right. and, you know, we have several other teams. You know, we still have the A's, Angels, and White Sox are still in the hunt in the American League. I mean, everybody seems to be still in the hunt in the National League. I mean, you go all the way down to the Mets, who we talked about as a dumpster fire, uh, and the Reds, who have been actually playing pretty well lately. They're only five games out. Nats are four and a half. Diamondbacks, three. San Diego Padres, two and a half. I mean, you know, that just makes all these teams want to be – uh, you know, going in, they're going to be buyers, uh, which if those teams are going to be buyers at the trade deadline, what is that going to do? It's going to make those trade pieces go up in value, which means we are seeing better prospects go to the bad teams, giving them the chance to get better quicker. I mean, it is just a system mm-hmm. that really, you know, helps itself out. It's cyclical. Uh, I, I think that's where we're headed. It's just more playoff teams, and, and we're definitely going to have to see a shorter season, which I'm a little upset about um, because... You know, even if it goes from 162 to 154, which is have, has been thrown around as the number, you know, all these records that we have seen for 162 game seasons, right. you know, all the new ones are going to have asterisks. You know, and and yeah. we might never see somebody uh, break the home run record because they just have eight fewer games to do it. Um, or when we see someone win the batting title by one point, uh, you know, would they have done it in 162 games? Um, you know, th- that kind of thing is going to come up a lot, and-, and that does upset me as me being a numbers guy, somebody who loves that part of baseball. Um, you know, we're going to, I'm, I'm going to die, a little part of me is going to die inside if that does happen. But at the same time, I would take four extra or two extra playoff teams and extended playoff. I think that would just make it more fun. And that's still what the other thing is, is they still want there to be an emphasis on winning your division. Uh, that mm-hmm. they, the Major League Baseball really wants that to be important. Uh, and if you do this system, you know, you're still rewarding the three division winners. They don't have to go into that wild card pool. You know, they get to have a, right. a break, reset a little bit. Um, you know, the, the one seed will play the winner of that pool and the, the two and three seeds will play each other. You know, that I think, you know, still rewards those, those division winners and keeps everything the way baseball wants it. So, uh, I am all in on on the pool system. I don't know how quickly that could happen. Maybe in the next CBA, but they're going to they have so much work to do in that CBA. I don't know if that's something that's going to be brought up. But I, I think either we're going to see. Well, I think regardless, we're going to see some sweeping changes. Um, but uh, I'm curious to see if it's a couple of things where they're big changes, you know, like three or four uh, different things that we are just seeing completely change, or if there are like twelve different parts of the game that they're you know tinkering with. Um, so, you know, one way or the other, there's going to be a lot to work out between the union and the league. So I'm excited to see where that goes and hopefully there is no lockout. Yeah. I'd really like that playoff format. Like you said, I feel like there might've been three or four times on this show. We've talked about the big looming future for baseball, but that playoff change would be, be fun. It'd be more exciting. It, it, you know, like you said, for all the reasons that it would benefit, you know, teams incentivizing, trying to make it into the wild card spot and, you know, rewarding the division winners, cutting the regular season down a few games. seems like it'd be a fun alternative to what is the current playoff format. Absolutely. All right. Last topic here today. Let's talk NFL. Some big news broke today. Uh, that is dear and near to my heart. Yeah, uh, And that is the pass interference review rule officially finalized for the 2019 season. A round of applause uh, from everybody in the Houdat Nation. Uh, it's about time they, they got this done. Now, the NFL Competition Committee recommended the rule for instant replay uh, of pass interference for this season only. Um, you know, they, the, the league came out last week, said the teams have one week to provide additional feedback. Apparently that didn't change anything. Um, there will be pass interference, automatic reviews after the two minute warning of each half. Um, and it is now eligible for a challenge prior to that during the game. Obviously there are a lot of implications here, Blake. Do you think, uh, overall, is this a good thing for the league or a bad thing? Um, overall, I think it's going to turn into a bad thing, honestly, and and more just from the fan experience. I think that it will help correct, um, you know, some of the human error that is into the game. But I think, you know, we look across sports, human error is a part of, of professional sports across the board with refereeing. You know, basketball has made their adjustments to, to make it a little better in the final two minutes. Of course, um, we talk about, you know, Major League Baseball has, you know, every home plate umpire has basically a, a an imperfect strike zone. Um, to me, I understand than others, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, (laughs) there, there are some benefits to it. Of course, you are going to overcorrect and, 
the biggest thing that kind of just bugs me is there's nothing I hate more than watching a football game. And when you get into those final two minutes, um, just the how slow the game turns into. Those two last two minutes should be full of intensity and back and forth. Um, you know, if a team is driving in the final two minutes, you want to see them finish it off. And it takes, you know, when you've got those, um, you know, official reviews and you add in something where you could review uh, pass interference, it's just going to slow down those final few minutes. And I feel like it's going to really drag on from a fan experience of just trying to get the game over with. Um, and listen, I understand after, you know, how things went down at the end of last year's playoffs, of course, with your Saints. Um, you know, no one wants to have that happen to their team, especially when they're, you know, a, a trip, you know, potentially to the Super Bowl is on the line. Um, I just think that the sometimes I, I think, you know, the problems are just going to outweigh uh, the benefits. And I understand it was an extreme case that brought this apart. But, you know, it, it's not like I, I don't think we'd see an instance like New Orleans Rams uh, every single season. No, we won't see it every single season, but at the same time, I mean, there have been plenty of calls at the end of games that have been pretty suspect um, right. that, you know, we just kind of have to let it go because that's just the call and there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, my my thing here is, you know, if this were any other penalty, I would I would 100% agree with you. It's slowing down the game. It, it doesn't, you know, it, it's not important enough to, to have to make this change, but the thing with pass interference is that when it occurs on the defensive side, the ball is placed at the spot of the foul, which on deep passes can be the difference of 50, 60 yards sometimes. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, or it's in the end zone, it puts you on the one-yard line. When With that rule in play, pass interference is so much bigger, especially in the league we're in right now where, you know, every team is looking for that pass-happy quarterback, um, you know, who can throw it deep downfield. That's, you know, that's going to come into play all the time. Um, and, and, and especially at the end of games where, you know, a lot of players would rather just, you know, go for the uh, hit rather than, um, you know, try and swat the ball down because they know they have no chance and they'd rather take the penalty than allow the catch. Uh, you know, that's that's going to cause some players to maybe think twice about that because they know that, you know, regardless of whether or not they catch the ball or, or you know, what happens, they are still, you know, the even if no call is made on the field, that could still be reversed. Um, so mm-hmm. they might be a little bit more hesitant about doing something like that. Now, I think that the, the, the big implication here that will decide whether or not it's continued, you know, the whole pace of play thing, I don't think that's going to necessarily be uh, as as big a deal in terms of fan be, fans being angry, but I think what will make fans angry is how this rule is enforced in terms of what exactly is pass interference now. I mean, we saw, yeah. you know, what is a catch broken down oh, on, on video. I mean, that was dominating headlines. Painful. Uh, you know, not as much last year, be, only because the, the hitting the cornerback rule really rose up and to be the, the new thing that people were mad about. But, but the year, the year prior 20, what is that? 2017 season. Uh, you know, that was, that was when everybody was talking about the, what exactly is a catch? How do you define it? You know, in, in video replay, what do you take into account for how it hits the ground? All that, you know, control, everything like that. Now we're going to be seeing, you know, oh, was his head turned? Oh, it was partially, where were his hands? Uh, you know, was his shoulder leaning into it? I mean, it is going to be scrutinized down to a science. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think that is where if, if the league and the officials don't do a good job of being consistent in what they consider pass interference, which is going to be very tough to do because it's a subjective thing to right. decide what yeah. pass interference is, that's how I could see it not working out in the long run. Yeah, it's just so hard to get one like clear-cut definition of what pass interference is because there are so many different ways that it can occur on both sides, you know, defensive pass interference and then also offensive pass interference. It isn't just one clear-cut thing that you see that is a yes or no answer. Um, So, you know, I feel like a lot of referees are going to come under scrutiny and maybe, you know, of course, when you send it to the booth or you send it to, you know, reviewing it, you've got, you know, their, I guess their... um, you know, they send it to where New Jersey, where they discuss. And so then I guess it'll be up to their decision, uh, you know, when they send it and, and, um, you know, discuss with the people back in New Jersey, but it it is going to be tough because, you know, there could be one game where something is called, uh, differently in another, and it, it will create a lot of complications. Um, 
I, I just, I, between that, I honestly, I hate watching a game stop in the last few minutes when it's intensified. If a team has momentum and all of a sudden, you know, there are two plays in a row where maybe they're reviewing something and then that momentum might be shot because the defense has had time to, to, you know, rest up and readjust and the offense had been moving and moving. And then all of a sudden you have to review a play. I feel like that would be frustrating as a player, uh, let alone, you know, just me kind of venting is what I would want to see as a fan. But I don't know, like they said, they're, they're trying it out. You know, I understand the need to try it after something as big as, as what happened uh, this past um, NFC Championship game. But um, in the end, I just don't think that this is something that will stick permanently with the league. Uh, I, I think I think if they can get it down to being consistent with it, uh, it's going to take time. I think right away yeah. fans need to understand that this <laughs> is not going to be perfect and that there is going to be some team that is going to be screwed in some situation where a call is overturned or not, and they're saying, how could this happen? What are the league? What is the league going to do? And, you know, th- they're going to be figuring it out. You know, and not that they haven't been obviously – you know, breaking down what a pass interference is before now, uh, they're just going to be more heavily scrutinized. It's it's like with the, the umpires in baseball. Uh, now that we have such intricate pitch track systems where the batter's box is on the screen on Sunday night baseball games on ESPN, and you can clearly see when they get the calls wrong, you know, that, you know, brought to light all of the, the issues that they had with how close of a, a strike zone they're actually calling and everything. And, you know, the league will adapt. And I, I think, I th- believe that the league can uh, I just think it's going to be a bumpy road. Now, the 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 big thing that they say here uh, in the press release that they put out was that there needs to be clear and obvious visual evidence, whatever mm-hmm. the hell that means, uh, right. that an incorrect call was made. That is the only way um, they are going to turn things around. That is also, within the final two minutes, the only time um, that they will stop the game within two minutes is if there is clear and obvious visual evidence that a pass interference penalty may or may not have occurred. That is so incredibly vague. Um, So I I don't know exactly. It's just going to be up to what the uh, referees decide. Um, And all Hail Marys at the end of games or halves will be reviewed as well, Um, which which that is going to, you know, what was that uh, Seahawks-Packers game? uh, Seahawks-Packers, I mean, that game, I don't even know what they would have come up with uh, in that uh, situation. But, you know, We'll see what happens. I I want to try it. I, I'll say that. Yeah, you know, well, maybe it doesn't work do. out in the long run. But well, not even just because I'm a Saints <laughs> fan. I mean, I, this is such an important. I know, I know. But you know, this is such an important call. I think there is no penalty that can have a greater effect on the game. Yeah. right now than the past interference call. And I, it has to be, put, at least for now, looped into the regular plays review, I guess, list uh, of, of things that can be reviewable just to see if we can come up with a system for making this consistent. Yeah, I guess. I wish there was just, you know, I it just makes me think about how I wish there was a developmental league or maybe if, you know, if the you know NFL and college were on the same page or maybe you could try it out in a smaller league to see how it reacts before you brought it up. Kind of like... um. I'm trying to think, you know, like in the NBA, they've used the G League to experiment with some different things. I know shot clock uh, and, and the pace of the game as well. Uh, when to well, stop the if the NFL had actually backed the AAF, maybe they could have. <laughs> but no, yeah. the NFL just no, let the right. AAF do its own thing and it burned to the ground. So, yeah, you know, that's I, its own fault. <laughs> no, yeah. So it is the NFL's fault. I, you know, I've never been a big fan of the NFL and their decision making as a league. Um, no. And how, you know, I, you know, they're probably the biggest penny pinchers in the world. But, um, you know, I just wish that there was an opportunity to maybe try it out so we're not, you know, entering next season kind of not knowing how it's going to go. If we had some raw evidence that, okay, this is something that we think could work, uh, you know, on a smaller scale, then I'd feel more comfortable bringing it up. But just, you know, you know, finishing the season and then getting halfway through the offseason, just be like, all right, we're going to try this. We're going to see how it goes. We're going to trial it out. It's like, you know, maybe... Maybe try and fund a league that maybe, you know, you're providing players with an opportunity to, to make their way up to the NFL. Uh, you know, maybe if they're given, you know, less of an opportunity and you can experiment with ways to benefit your game. But that's, I guess, more so a problem with, with the league, you know, not really being too adventurous. Yeah, well, as long as Roger Goodell is in that commissioner's office, I don't expect a whole lot of good things to come out of it. But, uh, you know, at least oh, this yeah. happened. I mean, it was comp- competition committee's decision. Uh, and I'm happy with it. So go Saints. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this just gives us all the more reason uh, to say that that game 
uh, was fucked up, and the Rams did deserve to be in the Super Bowl, and the Saints would have beaten the Patriots. Oh, come on. Oh, yeah, I went there. Anyway, um, we are one strike away from the Nats uh, sweeping the Phillies. I just want to say I have the game on right now. Sean Doolittle is pitching to Reese Hoskins. One ball, two strikes, two outs. Here's the pitch, and it is a ball. Damn it. I wanted that to be the pitch. That, <laughs> that would have been, uh, that been really cool. <laughs> It would have been. I wanted. I really wanted that right there. But um, yeah. I think that's going to wrap up our show uh, for today. Hopefully the Nats will close this last strike out and they'll sweep the Phillies and move within three games of that second wild card spot uh, in seven and a half, I believe, uh, of the NL East division with a big series against the Braves this weekend. Like I said, I'll be there. Dallas Keuchel starts tomorrow. I'm excited. All right, that's my Nats rant. Blake, any last words for the good people? Yeah, if you're going to get your Nats rant, I'm going to get my Yankees rant. They are currently up, I believe, <laughs> 10 to 4 over the Houston Astros, uh, you know, in their first game of their four game series. And Edwin Encarnacion has retaken the lead in the American League for home runs with a two run shot that he had in, I believe, the uh, seventh or eighth inning. Uh, Yankees are riding high. Aaron Judge is coming back tomorrow. So we've got essentially almost a full healthy uh, lineup for position players. They're still waiting on Didi Gregorius. Oh, wait, no, I'm not. I'm wrong. No, Didi came back, back right? already. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Is and there Stanton's any other back. missing? Yeah, Stanton's back. So then it's just it's just pitchers. We need Severino back. Um, Domingo Herman is on the IL. Batantis is still dealing with shoulder issues. Uh, but aside from that, man, Yankees are healthy. They're, they've kept their lead in, in, you know, atop the AL East. They've extended it. Uh, they got, a, I believe, a series sweep over the, the Rays earlier this week. They've got um, games against the Astros. Next week, they travel to play the Red Sox in London. So I'm feeling pretty good as a Yankees fan, but there's my little quick rant about them. Wait, but, but, but what about Greg Bird? Hmm. You know what? With 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 Luke Voigt, Kendris Morales, and uh, Edwin Encarnacion, I think the Yankees are fine at first base for now. <laughs> so many Yankees fans just hate Greg Bird. I think that's hilarious. I hate him. So he was supposed much. to be the guy. Oh. He was supposed to be the guy. Oh, Nat's got I, the win. Let's go. There you go. We made it on the show long All enough right. for them to get the win. We did, and I think the draft is over too. Am I wrong? Or the first round? Uh, was, the uh, Spurs just selected Keldon Johnson with the 29th pick, so they're almost over there. Ah, we didn't beat. We beat the draft. That's what mm-hmm. we can say. All right. Yeah, we did. And Jordan Poole, the shooting guard, shooting guard selected by the um, Warriors, the 28th pick, is wearing half a tie. I have to endorse that. Um, Ooh, that bold fashion. Literally, like. Yeah, like the scissors through the tie situation. It's pretty cool. All right, nice. well, that's going to do it for our show, everybody. I know we're just kind of rambling at this point, but yeah, uh, it's I, been yeah, a long this week. Is the it's almost ending. 11 o'clock. <laughs> we are really all over the place, honestly. I'm wearing a honestly. snuggie right now. Uh, I oh, just don't. Really I don't really just don't know what's going on. It's very warm though. Madison, my girlfriend left it here, and uh, oh, it's pretty nice. So I'm not going to sleeping in the girl's um, snuggie. At, Yes, she seals all my sweatshirts. I get her snuggie. I think that that's wow, pretty fair. Good trade off. Um, <laughs> all right, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Matt Wyrick FBB. Blake is at Blake Andrew Pace. Thank you all again for listening. Sorry, we're weird. It's eleven o'clock. Don't blame us. It's been a long work week. Um, we will be back uh, again next week and hopefully with uh, some more good Nats news. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you all so much for listening and have a good one. <laughs>